Thank you for joining us for part two of the Military as an Illustration of Collectivistic Culture on Facilitating the Mission. In this podcast, we continue to explore the differences between individualistic and collectivistic cultures and why it's important for American missionaries to understand the distinct contrast between them. Oh, from all walks of life. Absolutely. My platoon, we had... 20 guys from Chicago, you know, they were from the hood. Um, they'd never seen the ocean and um, they were your brothers. They weren't your brothers if you walked through the streets of Chicago, but they were your brothers. They would lay down their lives for you in, you know, whatever effort you were in. By the time you were done with those 11, 12 weeks of boot camp, those guys were, you know, closer than your brothers. Yeah. And, and part of that, that whole military, you know, preparation process, the deconstruction and the reconstruction in basic is they, they change your operating system, you know, from that individualistic guilt and innocence operating system that's, that basically you navigate life by, and they give you this new collectivistic honor, shame-based operating system. And in this, in this operating system, like I referenced earlier, in this new operating system, honor is is what you're seeking and but honor is only achievable by self-denial self-sacrifice um doing that which is good and beneficial for other people at at great cost to yourself even possibly your own life and and if you if you make decisions based on what's good for yourself for your own comfort having your own needs met your own ego stroked it's shameful it's dishonoring. And, and the reason it's shameful is because if you act with self-interest primarily in mind, other people are going to die. Because other and people you're immediately are called out. You, and you're immediately called out. I mean, there's a lot of honor in the military, but it all comes from others yes. pointing to the person that yeah. deserves honor. It doesn't come from right. yourself. Right. It's uh, and it's that combination in honor shame cultures. Honor, there's two ways of obtaining honor. One is ascribed, meaning other people assign, ascribe honor to you because you've done things that are honorable and deserving. You can never self-ascribe honor. Then there's the achieved honor, which you actually get. Which you know, there's a measure, there's a way you can achieve it, but you can never claim it. It also has to be ascribed. So even achieved honor has to be ascribed. If you self-ascribe it, that you've achieved it, it's actually dishonorable and shameful. It's, 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 and you know, I've been thinking, in fact, I was thinking about this the other day. I was talking to somebody that was going to buy a new car and the, the, the whole idea of well, what their credit rating is. And like the, and this is another analogy, I think that makes it easy for Americans to understand. If you think about your credit score, that that is one facet of American life that is honor shame based. Totally. So your credit score is a group of other people who you don't know, basically observing your spending habits. Where you make a commitment, do you follow through with the commitment? You say you're going to pay on time, do you pay on time? And your actual actions then are observed by other people, and they assign honor a level of honor to it. With it has a numbering system, yeah. <laughs> right? Yep. And so, um, yeah, and so, and again, in God's kingdom, it's 
the same way. And, you know, we haven't really crossed over into that analogy yet, you know, of, of like the individual walk with the Lord, but all these things that the military navigates by. The other interesting thing that, the, you know, that you and I know is like your rank, right? And, and, uh, and uh, badges or uh, medals and those kind of things, right? You, they're, they're public declarations of honor, but you don't put them on yourself. The military gives you the honor, the badges. They give you the medals. They are the ones that promote you to the next rank based on your, you know, your your faithfulness, your diligence, the way you do your job or whatever. You don't slap any of those things on yourself and claim that honor. And so it's a very visible, visible honor and shame-based operating system in the military. You know, Jeff, it's so funny. It reminds me of a of a story. You know, when I was uh, uh, in my in my avionics school uh, in Tennessee, I was at. We, they sent us to his to a Navy base, and so it's mostly you know young guys right out of boot camp that are at these schools. But then you also have um, in these schools guys that have reenlisted. So, say a guy was a was an infantryman for for his first enlistment. Now he's got to go out into the world. He's like, well, what am I going to do with my life? I, I better go learn right. something. And so they reenlist and become, and they go through the same schools with us newbies right. in the, right. in the service. And so, and they're still in their early twenties, you know, they got a lot of life ahead of them. And so it's, it's really good move for these guys. And so we had one guy that, that was, you know, as we were all privates and PFCs and Lance corporals out of boot camp, we had one, sergeant that came in we had lots of sergeants lots of corporals that had reenlisted mm-hmm. come in and man we those guys like just carried so much weight to us <laughs> they were just like so yeah. salty so much yeah. experience yeah. a lot of them like had seen battle and stuff and like they were right. hallowed and so we had but we had one guy that came in and he had all of these recon kind of diver badges and stuff like that and all these stories and he would, he would, you know, and so we just like were in total awe of this guy. But then it came out that he had faked all of these uh, badges and yeah. stuff. <laughs> and, you know, in the world, it's like that wouldn't be a big deal. But in the service, man, that was like, that was like the most dishonoring thing. It's almost, I mean, it might, it might be worse than being a deserter. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, to, to to impersonate somebody that had earned these things, you know, it's, it was just it just was the most dishonorable thing that we could think of, and and then of course you know once the word got out, it's like oh that answers so many questions about this guy and how he would behave as a leader because he mm, was a mean yeah. leader, yeah, you know he was he was we were you're in awe of the guy, but then he there was like this real lack of character. In how he, you know, just it, it wasn't like he was a brother to like an older brother. A lot of these these guys that were salty were like older brothers. They might they were mean older brothers, but they, you know, they were still there was still this brotherhood. But this guy was just mean, you know, and it just made so much sense that this guy had faked, you know, he was a poser. He had faked the honor that he was he had on display from day to day. It was a fake story, you know. And a guy like that is not only is he in that in that honor same operating system. Not only is that dishonorable and shameful when you do that, but but again, 
that person with that kind of ego is is probably going to be dangerous in battle. That's not the guy you want to have next to you and when totally. the, when the fighting is on, you know. That's the guy you that's, that's the, the guy, guy you frag. frag. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, and so so and again, you know, you look you look at your life years later and you realize all these experiences that God has sovereignly permitted you to have and and now, you know, as I look back on it, I, I look back and I'm sure you do too. It, you know, I, I, again, we go in at 17, man, fresh out of everything that is American culture. That's mm-hmm. really a byproduct of the 60s and 70s, which is totally be your own person, yeah. regardless of what anybody else thinks. And when yeah. we went in, Jeff, the, um, the military was not a popular place to go. I was, no, it wasn't. You know, I, I was, I'm from, California too, you know, and it was not a popular place to go that, that many, just a handful of years after Vietnam. Yeah. And for me, it was, you know, I went in in 76, so I was like a year and a half after Vietnam. So, uh, it was, yeah, it was not a popular thing to do. I got, you know, I caught a lot of flack from my friends and everything, but now, you know, um, as much as I hated basic training and, and thought like, what in the crud did I get myself into? And I despise so much of this. At the same time, there was something inside of me that dug it. Yeah. And and now, you know, the terminology I, I use is like that collectivistic culture, that honor and shame operating system, that interdependence and dependence being virtuous rather than weakness, all the opposite of what American culture teaches. When I went in and I and I experienced that, It's like there was this really deep down itch that God had placed in me that I didn't even know needed to be scratched. Yeah. And now the military scratched it. Yeah. And it was like, it was like there was a part of me that was functioning as God designed me to function that had never functioned that way before. Which then again, you know, when and once you're operating in that and you got that itch, that itch is scratched and you're you're actually living life in a system that's kind of like what God's original design was for you, then when you bail out of that, when you ETS out, and for those of you, again, haven't been in the military, that's, you know, ETS, uh, termination of service. I forget what the E stands for. But anyway, when you ETS out of the military, you step out of that, and now you're back into this every person for themselves rat race that doesn't, that thinks everything that that just made up so much of an important part of your life. All of that is a bunch of garbage and only weak people would be part of that. And yeah. so that transition out of the military back into civilian life is a major, major transition. And it's not just about, you don't have a job to do. You don't have structure. I've heard, I heard that on the news the other day here in San Diego, where they were talking about, cause it's a big military town here. You know, well, you know, getting out of the military is hard because, you know, people, once you're in there, there's a structure, there's already always somebody telling you what to do. Well, yeah, that's part of it. But no, you're, you're stepping out of a culture that is really operating in a lot of the ways God designed you to. And you're stepping yeah. out of that into this culture. That's the absolute opposition to everything God has designed you for. Absolutely. I mean, you go from order to chaos. Order to chaos. Thinking about others as your highest priority to think about yourself honor yourself, do plug your own virtues all the time. Tell everybody that you're the best person for the job and why you're going to be better than everybody. It's everything polar opposite of what the military teaches you. And that's why that transition is so hard. 
out of out of the military. And so, you know, again, I wasn't a believer when I went in. I got I, I got I went in at 17. I got out at 20. I was you know, I had my three years in then I had to do my three years in active duty, uh, in active reserve. And then I met the Lord at, at, at the age of 22. Yeah. And it's like now I had this experience where I made the choice to surrender to Jesus. And there was a similarity there with the military. But what I stepped into as part of the church, it, 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 I, I recognized immediately there should be some kind of itch being scratched here. And it was to a degree that was kind of like the itch that was scratched in the military. But for some reason, it's not. Yeah. And that's to me where that. Why is that? Well, why isn't it? I, I think I think it's because again, our culture influences the church, and when you start American culture, yeah, American culture that all the things that Americans think are virtuous, starting with the idea of my individual rights, that I, by the Constitution I have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness as I define it. And so when people surrender to Jesus, they don't really surrender to Jesus. They sort of say, yeah, you're going to keep me out of hell. And yeah, I'd like my life to improve. So I'm going to give you, you know, I'm going to start following you. But, you know, I really don't want to give you control. Mm. And, and I'm going to become part of this church. And the purpose of the church, as most churches navigate, the purpose of the church is not this cause larger than the interests of their own individual members. The church, you know, they, ex- they, they all say they exist to glorify God, but there's no, there's no recognition, you know, within the church by the leadership or the members of the church that, hey, you, you, you've become, when you join us, we're on this mission for God. We're, we're, we exist as a group of people, not for us individually to have the life we always wanted or to find fulfillment. We exist as a group of people to reflect the goodness and glory of God and his glory and goodness is best reflected in his self-denial, his self-sacrifice. And so we don't really navigate church like that. And when you start to navigate like that, then honor and shame enters in. You, you, you see yourself as part of a group, you have this shared experience, but it's like everybody that gets, goes into the military, every person that swears in alongside everybody else, they're all, moving forward from the same starting point. But in the church, they're not. They're, they're, they're moving forward from the point of like, I'm escaping hell and I need a new life. And it's all me-centered. You know, one of the things that we do in churches, church or churches, is because we're trying, you know, to reach the non-believer, to reach those that are outside, we try to portray ourselves as cool or attractive sometimes i mean i mean quite frankly it comes off very very cheesy yes the military on the other hand does not portray them is not saying we're just like you uh, only we have you know we we've taken this oath to the constitution they say no we have this identity and maybe you can be one of us exactly you know maybe you have what it takes right you know to do to wear this uniform and you can't be part of us if your primary goal is your self-fulfillment. Right. And what but we don't say the church, the church and the way we present the gospel doesn't say, look, 
either surrender to Jesus and really call him Lord and let him dictate what your life should look like and come alongside everyone else that surrendered the same way for this cause larger than any of its own uh, any of its own members interests and and if you're unwilling to do that then don't bother coming mm. we don't want to say that we can't say that but that isn't that the message of the he who has ears to hear let him hear yeah you have you count the cost unless you're willing to deny yourself and pick up your cross and follow me you can't be my disciple you know you just start and, and you just go eh, okay so and then, and then when you surrender to Jesus, I mean, when you really surrender to Jesus, like, you know, I think everybody who has been born again, there is a level, obviously, of surrender to him as Lord. Then what happens is you, you then say to him, okay, Lord, where am I most useful? You know, mm. and, and, and then you get into 1 Corinthians 12, where Paul says the Spirit comes and gives gifts to individuals for the good of the whole group. Right. So your giftedness is not self-claimed. Your gift is assigned by the Holy Spirit, and the reason you're given that gift is for the good of the whole group, not your own individual self-satisfaction. And and good military leaders, they, the, you know, the leaders identify the giftedness of different of the different people on the team. Yes, and one guy's the point man. One guy's he's the rifleman. One guy. He's the navigator. Yes, you know I'm. Yeah, I'm. I'm shooting from the hip here, but you get my point. Yeah. And the leader identifies those guys. Yeah. and helps them, and develops them to operate in those gifts that they have for the survival of the squad, for the survival yes. of the platoon, and to and to accomplish the mission. So, so having a clear mission, then you know, by its very nature, a mission requires a diversity of people with a diversity of personalities doing a diversity of things. But every one of those people with different personalities, different talents and gifts, they all recognize that my contribution helps to accomplish the mission, but not mine alone. If I do what I'm called to do and other people called what they're called to do, then the mission is accomplished. Any one of us that acts out of self-preservation and self-interest actually damages the possibility of successfully completing the mission. And the thing is, is that they're in the same uniform. Yeah. And when they're walking together, they're in step. They're in step. If there's two, if they're four, if there's six, if there's 70. Yeah. And it is amazing to watch. It's it's amazing to observe. Yeah. And the different person, like you said uh, earlier, you know, the different backgrounds people come from, uh, the different Mm -hmm. personalities, the different life experiences. So again, all those parallel the church. The the problem is that that... the the individ the way the gospel is presented and the role of the church has been so influenced by this individualistic self fulfillment culture that that the church doesn't function at all uh, like like it can or like it should even by what's laid out in the New Testament. Well, and 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 even in our conversation, I mean, think about it. If you're in an accountability situation, yeah. it's like what's your gift has your relationship yeah. with Jesus. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's all shaped very individualistic. Every, the starting point is always I. And, you know, that's one of the ways when I try to, you know, when I try to teach this kind of stuff, even like on Sunday morning services for people, the idea of are you from an individualistic culture or collectivistic culture? Here's the mindset. 
the collectivistic cult, the, the individual in the collectivistic culture says, I am because we are. Because we are, I am. But in our culture, in an individualistic culture, the, the, the mentality is, I am because I think and I do. Mm. You know, one of the things I love about Bible scholar N.T. Wright, mm -hmm. he talks about, you know, the language that we use in our, you know, we talk about our personal relationship and he, and he, and he says the way that we communicate about our relationship with God is that God is in orbit around us, right. you know, we, that we are at the center of the solar system and God and the angels and everybody else, they're all in orbit around us. And, and really what it is, is we're supposed to be in orbit around God. Mm -hmm. And that's how the, and that's how the system, the solar system from the, from God's perspective is created is that we are in orbit around him and he's the center of everything that happens. And, and that's the reality, but it's not our language. Yeah. It's not our practice. It's not our practice. And even, I, I would say at an even deeper level than that, we're not just in orbit around him. He's in us. He's, mm. his, his gravitational pull is, has, has surrounded us. We're around him, but his gravitational pull is influencing us. And, and one of the, one of the, uh, I, I saw this movie and, you know, years ago, it's a, and it's Christmas time. So, you know, there, there's a couple of cr crazy parts in it with, you know, maybe a little off kilter parts, but there's a movie called the family man and it's uh Nicholas cage. And, oh, and yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. where, uh, basically the story, is, you know, it starts off with, he's like this really high dollar, uh, wall street guy that's single and it's Christmas Eve and, and he's going to make his employees work on Christmas day or whatever. And then he, he bumps into this angel. They don't, you don't know it's an angel at the time. But he's living this single, completely self-absorbed life. And then he wakes up. He goes to sleep that night and he wakes up in the morning, right? And and he's got this alternative life that goes back to when he had this girlfriend in college and they chose to go their separate ways. Now he's married. And so he wakes up next to this woman that used to be his girlfriend, his wife, and he's got kids running in the bedroom. Daddy, daddy. And he's like, it's like he's living this new life. But he's got all the awareness of the alternative life, and 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 I and so the analogy right. that I like to use for that, I mean, it's like, it's like, listen, the way it really is, if you're surrendered to Jesus, is He's living through you. He's He's living your life. So so if if Jesus, if you woke up tomorrow, if Jesus woke up in your body tomorrow morning and had your wife, your house, your kids, your money, your job, what does that look like? Right. Uh, How is that different than than what it is you're living right now? Because in reality, if you're in Christ, <laughs> Christ is in you. And that's exactly what's happened. Jesus yeah. is living out his life through you. It's, it's like really crazy, mm. deep stuff. But it, it, there, there are some like illustrations like that that kind of help bring it home. Yeah, sure does. What I found in my own personal experience uh, with, you know, with my time in the military, uh, then coming to know the Lord, having the experience of church as we do it, then becoming a missionary, living in a hyper collectivistic honor, shame based culture in the Philippines, um, coming back, that transition back to American culture after living in the Philippines was similar to getting out of the military and going back into life in the civilian world. 
all of those things has just given me this, these convictions that the military provides these incredible opportunities to give people a handle on on what the kingdom of God is really like. And and let me let me just kind of just throw this last thought out there. Somebody a, a while back, I don't I don't remember who it was. I was at a conference somewhere, and somebody I heard somebody say this. But you know, the basic point was. You know, we're Americans. We don't do monarchies well. We don't, we don't, we don't do kings. The idea of a king, like, like he's my sovereign, like I'm here to do your will, like tell me what you want me to do, tell me where you want to go. You're my king, and you have a kingdom, and my role is to obey your orders because you run the kingdom. That's like so foreign to us as Americans because democracy, we have a choice. We have a say. We can make an influence. And so the idea of Jesus being your Lord, your master, your sovereign, your king, and you're alongside other people that have surrendered and bent the knee to his kingship too, and together all of you surrendered are the expression of his kingdom, that's just so hard for us to wrap our minds around. The military provides an on-ramp, I think, to understand that. You know, one of the, the things that's interesting about the military, especially the the American military, is so much of what we do and practice in the military comes from yes. British tradition, where king and country, you know, for a thousand years have been, you know, what the that that military has been established. So a lot of those have all that has carried over. That's where our military has its foundations. And and there's some, well, obviously some huge wins in that kind of tradition. Well, and, and you can't, and the, you know, you, you also, the idea of like the, where our culture's at and then, and then our, you know, the people that make decisions for the military, trying to do these social cultural experiments and make them part of the military, you're actually crippling the military from its ability to do what it was designed to do. The whole idea of the kingdom of God, and I've bent my knee to Jesus, and I'm now part of his kingdom, and I'm alongside other people that have bent their knee, and we're all their knee too, and we're all in this together, and I'm going to let Jesus tell me what my role is and give me the gifts I need, and I'm going to use those gifts for his good and the good of other people. I'm going to do that, which is you know, good and beneficial for the glory of God and other people, even if it means denying myself or me putting my rights aside, I'm going to do those things because I've surrendered to this king. Thanks for listening to Facilitating the Mission. We consider it a privilege to have you spend time with us. If you found today's podcast helpful, please leave a review on the podcast platform where you heard us. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. Search at Shep Staff on any of these platforms. That's S-H-E-P-S-S-T-A-F-F. -S